Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We want to look at verses 1 through 10. We want to speak about this model servant. This morning we want to look at part one because there's just so much to, to cover. Now obviously Paul's going to be speaking about uh, this servant of the Lord. And as we mentioned in the prayer, if you're a Christian, then you're a servant of the Lord. Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonica, he had such a love and a compassion towards them. It was a young church, if you recall. They're only about three weeks in the Lord, and yet they've come mightily uh, to saving grace. And now Paul speaks about this position of being a servant. Now let me give you just a little bit of introduction. Paul uses himself, and then we're going to mention Silas and Timothy, as model servants, or we can look at another word, model ministers. Because the word minister and the word servant in the Greek are the same. The word is diakonos. And so we're servants of the Lord. So many times we, we see the minister and you say, well, Pastor Bob's the minister. And then, you know, Pastor Jeff is also a minister and Pastor Jay are our ministers. And so we can easily look and they have their jobs. They have their ministry. But the Bible says that we're all ministers. We're all a diakonos. We're all servants of the Lord. God has placed us here uh, to serve. We draw from the word diakonos, our English word, deacon. And so this word deacon means uh, a diakonos. Now the best translation, a deacon, a diakonos, is one that serves. One that cleans tables. One that sets up tables, sets up chairs. And so each one of us qualify. And so be careful when we try to label it. Now, when we look at the word shepherd, that's a poemine in the Greek, and it means one that feeds the flock. And that's what my ministry is. My ministry is to feed the flock of God. But I'm also called to serve. I'm not exempt. Pastor Jeff's not exempt. Neither is Pastor Jay. Each one of you, if you're a Christian this morning, you're a follower of Christ, then each one of us, including ourselves, we're called servants, servants of the Lord. And so Paul's going to bring this forth so beautifully to the church at Thessalonica. He had a love and a compassion towards them. And he's going to use himself as an example. Now, in the early church, there were traveling evangelists, traveling ministers, if you may, there were also traveling uh, philosophers, and they would come forth with their oratory, their uh, beautiful speech. And many of them would come into the communities, and, and they would take. And it's interesting, 1950 years later, it hasn't changed. We have to be very careful that we do not fleece the flock of God, but that we feed the flock of God. Now, this morning's teaching is very important to me because most of you know we've been praying uh, to go on to the radio. We've been praying for a time now. The doors have opened wide uh, for us to go on KELP, Monday through Friday. They've given us a beautiful spot, 1230 in the afternoon, and it's a half-hour program. We're going to call it Manna in the Desert. 
But as the pastor, as the shepherd of the flock, I never want to take from God's people. I never want to pressure God's people. And all we have been asking is, please pray. And as God opens doors, and as God provides, then we can make this move. And if not, if the money's not there, then we also have to be wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove, and say, you know what? We're not going to do this. But for right now, the doors are open. They are working with us, and it looks very well, very good. But six months from now, if the finances are not there, I would be the first one. Pastor Jeff, let's take it off. Because I will never ask on the radio or the body of Christ. Listen, you have to give more. That's wrong. And so Paul's going to uh, instruct the church at Thessalonica, we were servants of the Lord. We didn't ask you for anything. And yet the church at Philippi took care of Paul's needs. And if you were here for the, the study in, in, in the Philippian church, Paul thanked them. And Paul was humbled that they gave. And so as we come to saving grace, the Holy Spirit moves upon our hearts. We're called servants of the Lord. And nobody should ever have to prompt you. We should never have to do a special teaching this morning on tithing, on giving. Man, we have to trust God. In fact, I don't believe in the 10% tithe. I believe that was Old Testament. A lot of preachers hate for anybody to say that. But if you really go by the Old Testament, it was 10% plus. In fact, John MacArthur says, if you start to give the way the Old Testament said, it's about 23%. But in the New Testament, Paul tells the church at Corinth, God loves a hilarious giver. That's the way he describes it. And so I don't think any one of us should ever be pressured. But it starts by becoming a servant of the Lord. How do you become a servant of the Lord? You have to first receive him as your Lord and Savior. And so imagine the church at Thessalonica now. We know from last week's study that Paul had preached there for three Sabbath weeks. So in other words, three Saturdays. Many believe that it was a three-week-old church, very young church, but they were on fire for the Lord. And because Paul's addressing this, I'm thinking that they wanted to support Paul. And Paul said, hey, I'm okay. If you know anything about Paul the Apostle, he was a tent maker by trade. Interesting. He was the rabbi of rabbis. He was in the Sanhedrin. He was one of the, the high elect religious leaders. And Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. If you want to give Paul a title, he was a doctor of the law. Finances, he, he didn't need. But he still knew the trade of tent making. A Jewish dad, when they were raising their children, whatever education they got, and if they you know, had the, the mind for it, they went for all the education they could get. Paul went all the way through rabbinical school, studied under Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers in the New Testament. But Paul also knew the trade. So dad would take the sons and, and teach them the trade. If your dad was a butcher, guess what? You're going to be a butcher. Jesus was a carpenter, right? That's what Joseph was. A carpenter in those days also was a stonecutter. So here's Paul, a tent maker. And that's how he sustained uh, his ministry. And yet, i got to remind you, the church at Philippi took care of Paul's needs financially. 
And it humbled Paul because he didn't want to take from the church. And so he's going to describe it. Let's begin here. First Thessalonians and, and chapter 2, and look at verse 1. And Paul says, for you yourselves know, he's speaking to the church at Thessalonica, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. I like that. Paul is encouraging now the church at Thessalonica. He's speaking from his heart. We came to you in humility, basically, not in vain. If you look at the word vain in the Greek, we didn't come to you in emptiness. We didn't come to you in futility. But we came to you preaching the gospel by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Now, we know that there is a price paid for everything. A price was pray, paid that, excuse me, to bring this gospel of Jesus Christ to the church at Thessalonica. And that price was covered 1,950 years ago. It was paid by the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, the precious shed blood of the suffering Savior. Paul received that ministry of Christ, and now he brings this message uh, here to the church at Thessalonica. And it was not without pain, without suffering, without trials, without hurt. Paul is going to be speaking of that as we continue in our text. Now, we know that everything has a price tag. And the price tag of the church was paid in full by Christ. That's why Jesus died for us. And so in reality, listen, the gospel is free. It's interesting, you'll hear on the radio or you're hearing, you're here on the TV, send your money, and if not, we're going to have to close shop. You mean, is God broke? And that's the way some preachers treat it. It should never be. And that's why I said, if we are going to go on the radio and then the money's not there, we'll pull the plug quickly. I will never pressure. It should not be that way. Neither was Paul that way. Look at verse 2. But even after we had suffered... He says before, and were spitefully treated at Philippi. As you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you, the gospel of God in much conflict. Interesting that Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, but he gives this little testimony of what happened at Philippi because I believe Paul had already spoken to them. Now concerning the church at Philippi, we know that in Acts chapter 17 that Paul had to leave by night from Thessalonica, because the riot had broken out, and the religious leaders, the Jews, not finding Paul at Jason's house there, we're speaking about Thessalonica, they took Jason out of the house and the brothers that were with him there, and then they beat them. But Paul here in verse 2 is recalling to them before they reached Thessalonica, they had encountered great suffering at Philippi. For preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I have to honestly say, I have never been persecuted physically for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, I've been persecuted verbally. I've had things said to my face. I've, I've had letters written to me or to the ministry here. But nobody's ever beat on me. And Paul is speaking about what took place at Philippi. 
Now, let me just set this up a little bit. If you're taking notes, back in Acts chapter 16, in verse 19 now, it says here, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And then what happens after that is they're beaten. They're beaten with rods, Paul and Silas, and then they're placed into the dungeon and then put into stocks. And there they are. This is for preaching the gospel. Now, this little slave girl, she was working for her masters that were working in divination and the things of the Spirit. And because Paul, through discernment of the Holy Spirit, he saw that she was an heir, and he rebuked her. And because of that, the owners captured him. Now, this is in Philippi. This is before Thessalonica. And so Paul had to go through the trials and the tribulations. But everything has a reason and a purpose. While he was there at Philippi, you read a passage there in Acts chapter 16, and Paul and Silas in stocks, like I said. Imagine their backs opened up, and they're singing praises to God at midnight. Now, I've shared this many times, being in ministry, I hope and pray that if somebody were to open my back up and I'm sitting there locked into stocks, would I be praising God or would I be complaining? How about Silas? I'd be looking at Paul, thanks a lot. Look, another fine mess you got us into. But sometimes, listen, the price of the gospel has already been paid. We already identified that. It was paid at the cross by Jesus. But still, sometimes it's costly to be a Christian. Right now in third world countries, it's, it's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to be a preacher. Your life could easily be taken. Your wife, your children. And so, in a sense, the gospel does have a price physically. And so Paul is uh, proclaiming to them now, that what happened at Philippi. See, after Philippi, they went to Thessalonica. And after Thessalonica, they left by night. They went to Berea. And then in Berea, they had to leave there too. And they went on to Athens. And there in Athens, the philosophers at the time, they didn't want to hear the gospel. So in a sense, the gospel does have a price. And Paul understood that. If you ever read his testimony, it's awesome. And the man suffered, and he knew it. He did it all for the gospel's sake. Now, at Philippi, yes, we're speaking about the suffering and the beating and such, but an earthquake takes place while they're in the dungeon, and the gates of the prison open up. And the jailer at this time, thinking that they have escaped, was going to take a sword and plummet himself. He was going to commit suicide because if you lost a prisoner... This is the time, you know, of the Roman guards and such. You were subject to pay the price of that prisoner. You had to pay for their time or you had to pay for their life. Because they're gone, you have to do it now. And so he's going to commit suicide. And when he was about to plunge himself with a spear or the sword, Paul and Silas called out to him. Don't harm yourself, we're still here. Now, the evidence of that, the testimony of that, is that the jailer comes to saving grace. 
The jailer says, what must we do to be saved? And Paul obviously led him to the Lord. The Bible says that his family also came to saving grace. There was a rich woman by the name of Lydia there at Philippi. She comes to saving grace. So even though the price tag sometimes can be a physical pain, uh, physical endurance, look how the gospel is spread. The church of Smyrna was considered the church under persecution. But the more the church was persecuted, the greater the church became. It's a known fact through history. As the church suffers, the church grows more. The Roman government tried to eradicate the church, but the more they killed off the Christians, the more came to saving grace. They saw the witness. They saw the testimony. And so Paul's recalling this witness and this testimony of what took place at Philippi. And he's sharing this with the church of Thessalonica. Look at verse 3 now. He says, For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness. Paul's given his testimony. Nor was it in deceit. So I want you to listen to Paul as a servant of Christ. As an example uh, to us even here this morning. Paul says, As your servant, our comfort, our consolation, that's the word exhortation, was not in error. He says, not a mistake. The suffering that I went through in Philippi brought me to Thessalonica, if you could understand that. And then he says, nor were we ever without purity, uncleanness. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy's testimony, they had moral impurity before God and also before man, nor any type of deceit. Listen to the word deceit here. Paul says craftiness in the Greek. Paul is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, had nothing to hide. There was no tricks in his bag, if you may. Nothing to be ashamed of. Too many times in ministry, and I want you to hear me from my heart, too many times in ministry, tricks come forth, Programs come forth, gimmicks come forth to persuade a person to become a Christian when it should be the power of God, when it should be the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and so many others since, past, present, and future, they gave the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, no strings attached. And I pray this morning, if there's ever strings attached in this ministry to bring forth the gospel to you, get up and leave. Because it better be the word of God. That's what Paul's sharing here. Look at verse 4 now. But as we have been approved of God, that word is powerful in the Greek, as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with this gospel of Jesus Christ, even so we speak, not pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. And again, you can see Paul's heart as a servant, as an example of a servant of Christ. Again, this model servant. And so Paul says we, he's including Paul, Silas, and Timothy, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as messengers who have been approved by God. The, the word approved here is we've been allowed by God. 
to bring forth this gospel message. He entrusted it. He committed this gospel message, this good news, into our hands. Imagine having this Bible entrusted into your hands. You have it just as well as I do. You're accountable just as I'm accountable. And that's why I can't come and give you flowery speech. And that's why I, I can't come and deviate from the Word of God. We go from Genesis to Revelation. We're going through 1 Thessalonians chapters 1, 2, 3, and we just keep going. You cannot miss doctrine when you do that. God forbid that we would bring in a, a shotgun effect. And yes, there's times when we'll share a topical. But man, you cannot go wrong by going through the Word of God, book by book, chapter by chapter. And so Paul's saying here in verse 4, our purpose is, is to please God, not to please man. He is the one who examines the, the motives of the hearts. What Paul proclaimed and what Paul was given to the church at Philippi and now the church at Thessalonica, it was God-ordained. And I owe nothing but to God. He placed me here. And trust me, if Paul is an heir, God's going to remove this man. Now let me give you just a little bit of personal testimony. Uh, through the years, this church, this pastor, there's been times we've been attacked. All pastors, all churches go through this. But when I was a younger pastor, I used to take it personally. Oh, God, they don't like me. God, they don't like my church. Oh, that didn't last too long. God showed me so clear, Bob, it's not about you. And Bob, it's not your church. I called you, I anointed you, and that church belongs to me. You're just the overseer. You're just the poemin, the shepherd. You're just to feed the flock of God, not to fleece the flock of God. So imagine what Paul was going through, the hardship, the pain. It's not easy, church. And so many times the attacks do come. And what are we going to do? Paul says we've been approved by God to be entrusted uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That hasn't happened for a long time, but in the early part of my ministry, usually Monday morning, you want to quit. You know, I'll go back to California, I'll get me a job, you know, I'll move in with somebody there, we have so many relatives, but you know, Tuesday you start, okay, it's not about you. Wednesday, all of a sudden you got to study because Wednesday night's coming. And you realize, and you learn, Lord, it's your church. Lord, they're attacking you, and that's true. That's the only way you're going to survive. And so can you imagine what Paul went through and Silas? Now, <laughs> look at verse 5. He says, For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. In other words, Paul didn't go after their finances. And then he says here, God is my witness. Paul says here, uh, not once did we try to win you over with flattery. As you very well know our testimony, 
Besides this, God is our witness that we, uh, we're not just preaching or pretending to preach or pretending to be your friends to get gain from you. The word covetousness speaks of finances. And then Paul says, God is my testimony. Now, there's a beautiful verse. I want you to write it down. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. As Paul's directing here to the church at Thessalonica, he also was dealing with these type of people at the church at Corinth. Remember, we shared earlier, there were traveling evangelists. There were traveling philosophers. Basically, there were hucksters that were in it for personal gain. It's no different today. We have to be aware of this. 2 Corinthians 2.17, I'm going to read out of the NIV. Listen to it. He says, unlike others, we do not peddle the word of God for gain or for profit. On the contrary, in Christ Jesus, we speak before God with sincerity as meant sent from God. Paul recognized his calling. Paul recognized the power of the Holy Spirit in him. Oh, Paul was often beaten, lowered from a basket there at Ephesus, leaving at night, shipwrecked. I mean, the man faced everything, but he kept going. Why? The power of God working in and through him. And Paul says, integrity tests me. He wasn't being boastful. Integrity, purity tests me. God is my witness. You know what Paul's saying there? If I'm an heir, God's going to wipe me out. And I believe so. You see, I see ministries and I see ministers and they're doing certain things, but sooner or later, it will catch up to you. You will not get away with it. I have been attending Calvary Chapel uh, senior pastor conferences for over 26 years now. And through the years, Chuck always reminds us, guys, don't forget you're called of God, you're anointed of God, you're a servant of God, you're a representative of God. Keep integrity intact. And that's been my prayer for the longest time. Lord, if I fail you, and I'm purposely failing you, because we all sin, that's not the issue. And sin is an issue, but I'm saying something that you continue to do, thinking you're going to get away with it. Lord, if I'm going to fail you, then get me out of the picture. And we have seen it. You've been here after I come back from conference in June, and it never fails. We get testimony of two, three pastors. They're no longer with us, Pastor Chuck will say. They got involved with this. They got involved with that. And before you know it, they were taken down. We have to be so careful. Pride can take you down. Money can take you down. And obviously, women can take you down. Those are the basic three aspects. And it happens so subtly. And so Paul's speaking about his integrity. We didn't come to you with flowery speech. Then he goes on into verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or others. When we might have made, and this is a strong word, we'll break it down right now, demands as apostles of Christ. And he's speaking about finances. Paul said we could have asked for a salary. But Paul would never demand, but that's the word that the King James used. 
But Paul's saying to seek glory from man means to seek honor and praise and acceptance from man. Oh, God forbid that we desire to be accepted by man, but that we would desire to be accepted by God. You see, right now, the struggle, should we go on the radio, Lord? We have, I have been praying. I don't want to do it without God's promise, without God's hand. And if you do it without God's hand, it's going to fail. And if it works for six months or a year, and then we have to get up, we have to do it. But we could never beg for, you know, God bless this thing. Back in verse 4, Paul said to be a man pleaser rather than pleasing God. We didn't do that. Paul made sure that the church at Thessalonica knew that he did not seek this from them, nor from me, he says, nor from Silas or Timothy. As apostles called of God, Paul says, we could make demands. Now listen to the Greek here. He's speaking about finances, getting a salary from the church. Other apostles were getting paid. I mean, salary is part of the church when the church can provide for it. But one of the titles of God, we hear that he is called Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. A Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. But there's another beautiful term that has been ingrained into Calvary Chapel ministers. We serve Jehovah Jireh. The word Jehovah Jireh, that God is my provider. That God is our provider. And we have seen through the years how God has provided for this ministry. How he brought us into this building. How he has opened the doors here for the radio ministry. Some of you don't know this. About 10, 15, probably 12 years ago, we were on the radio on Sunday mornings. And we were on it for about three years. And then finally, the finances were not there. We had to, we had to cut it. And so that was very difficult, but yet it had to be done. And so here we are now. The building, we own it. And so the church has grown. Finances are there. The possibility to get on the radio, to get the gospel out. But Lord, you have to provide for this. And we have been seeing his hand of grace. Write this verse down concerning Jehovah Jireh. We know that God tells Abraham, go to the mountain. It's Mount Moriah. Take your son, your only son. Sacrifice him unto me. Dads, you have a son? You have a daughter? Imagine God speaking to, to your heart to do that. Only the pagans, the heathens, sacrifice human flesh. Abraham believed God by faith. He obeyed God by faith. If Isaac's life's going to be taken, I believe in the resurrection. And we know the story. He was about to bring down uh, the knife, and the angel of the Lord stopped him. God wanted to see Abraham's heart. It's a difficult story to understand, to grasp. And so after Abraham was stopped, he writes this in Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. That's Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. God provided a ram for the sacrifice. God provided a ram for the sacrifice. 
Now here in verse 6 again, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. The King James is better. It says we might have been burdensome to you. Uh, the Greek is very interesting. Vine's Dictionary, a Greek word says uh, this, the word burdensome, uh, to place a spiritual weight on you, uh, such as desiring to receive finances from the church. And so the, the word demanding is to place this weight upon the church. I love Paul's heart here. No financial weight was to be placed on the church. I think the, and I believe that the church of Thessalonica was desiring to, to minister to Paul's needs financially, and he said no. He was a tent maker by trade. He said no because church of Philippi was already sustaining him. And it's interesting, you turn on uh, the television evangelist and uh, the famous words is, become a partner today. Sign up, become a partner. And, and the more you give, God is going to bless you. Oh, be careful with these guys. And I pray and I hope that we would never stoop to this. Now, it's interesting, if you're taking notes, back in Acts chapter 18, Paul is at Corinth. He's making tents there with Aquila and Priscilla. He's making tents to sustain him financially. Yet we know that the, uh, the epistle to the Philippians, one of the reasons Paul wrote it uh, to thank them for the financial gift. And so Paul received from church, but it was always Paul's goal to sustain himself. He didn't have family. We believe he was married. Could be his wife passed away or she divorced him. She left him because being in the Sanhedrin, he would have been very rich. And now he becomes a preacher that's going, you know, from city to city, trusting God. And so Paul would build tents, take care of himself. Look at verse 7. Let's get back to our text. But we, I like what Paul says, speaking of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, we were gentle among you. Speaking to the church at Thessalonica, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. As apostles of Jesus Christ, as leadership in the church, if finances permit, Paul's telling us he has the scriptural right to make these requests of the church. But Paul did not do that. Paul chose not to. He says, we were gentle among you as a mother feeding and caring for her own children. Moms, I mean, you're going to take care of your child. How about the animal kingdom? I mean, what mother cow's not going to take care of her little calf? And so Paul is saying here, listen, church of Thessalonica, God is sustaining us. God is taking care of us. It would have been very easy for Paul to ask for salary, but Paul did not. Paul took that position of Jehovah Jireh, God my provider. Now, if a minister is gonna stay in the church because Paul traveled, he would set him up and then he would place you know, leadership there. And generally the church would sustain that leader. But Paul says, you know, my needs are already met. And then in verse 8, he speaks about this love, this compassion, this grace. We're going to see uh, affectionately longing for you. These words are only used in the New Testament right here. 
And in the Greek, they're very strong. Words of affection, words of love, words of compassion, words of agapeo. This could only come from the Lord. He says in verse 8, so affectionately longing for you. Remember, he was there for three weeks and then he left. Goes on to Berea, then he goes on to Athens. But Paul wanted to be there. But he left uh, Timothy there. We're going to see that later. But um, Paul wanted to be there. And so he says here, so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also impart our own lives to you because you had become dear to us. The word dear there speaks of to have love and compassion. It speaks of the word agape, divine love. But listen to Paul's heart here in verse 8. The King James, effectually desirous of you, as I mentioned, the only time you find it here in the New Testament, Vine's Dictionary, dictionary Greek words, that is, to long after you, to have strong affection for you. The sense here is that Paul was so strongly attached to them that he would have been willing, as he shares in the text, to lay down his life for them. That's powerful when you think about it. This is Paul's heart again. Paul's heart is a model serpent that he's willing to lay down his life for the church at Thessalonica, the church at Philippi, the church at Berea. It didn't face Paul. In a sense, he had nothing to lose. And eventually, we know that Nero has Paul's head taken off. He knew that the time was coming. Paul is saying here in verse 8, it pleased us to give you not only the gospel of Jesus Christ freely, but also our very souls. You have become so dear to us. The word dear, you have become so agape to us, this divine love. You see, church, you cannot do this without God's love. What makes a man and a woman give up everything and go into the mission field uh, to go to the jungles of Africa, to go to the remote areas of, you know, India, unless it's God's love that motivates you. It's God's word that drives you. It's God's Holy Spirit that sustains you. It reminds me of John Chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you recall, before Jesus died on the cross, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was crying out three times in prayer, Lord, he's praying to his heavenly father, if there be any other way, take this cup of death away. Jesus did not want to die. In his incarnation, he was all God, all man. In his position of being all men, he felt pain. You study Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering Savior, he felt pain. All of his blood was emptied out. The crown of thorns, the nails in his hands and feet, the spear that goes up his side into the sack where the heart is, the water and blood that came forth, the pain the anguish, if there be any other way. But it says here, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
It's love that drives you to do these things. Paul could have been easily called, you're insane. They just beat you in Philippi, and now you're going to Thessalonica, and they're going to, eventually they're going to chase you out, riot conditions. And then you leave Paul, they go to Jason's house where you were meeting, they bring Jason out and his brothers there, the brethren in the Lord, and they beat them. Now, if I would have been Jason, I would have said, thanks a lot, Paul. But no, these men, these women, they endured the cross. How? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's the love of God. Now, I want you to listen to this verse. If you can turn there real quick, 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. John the Beloved is considered the apostle of love. And here in the text, we're just going to read two verses, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. But the caption of my Bible says, the outworking love. You see, Paul could not do these things. Silas could not do these things. Timothy could not do these things without the love of God permeating through their body. What keeps you going? The love of God. What keeps the church going? The love of God, even through persecution. But listen to what John writes here. 1 John 3, look at verse 16. He says, by this we know, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. This is why we know this agape love. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's what Paul's telling the church at Thessalonica. And then in verse 17, but whosoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Paul's heart, Silas's heart, Timothy's heart, my heart, hopefully this morning your heart, is to minister. Well, I'm not a preacher. No, no, to minister, to serve. Diakonea, a servant of the Lord. Praise God. We've shared this many times. You all come in on Sunday mornings, and everything's taken care of. We got people that come in and clean. We got people that come in and set up. We got people that come in and vacuum. I mean... These are servants of the Lord. We've got people in the back that are, you know, not only watching the kids, but teaching them. That's the beauty of servanthood. I don't know anything about sound ministry. You don't want me in there. But I appreciate those guys back there. The ushers taking care of, you guys missed the first service. We had a, a transient that was in here. And he did not smell very nice. He was very, very ripe. And everybody was trying to minister to him, but I'm serious. He would walk by you and you'd go, whoa. And the guys were spraying, trying to minister to him and encourage him. It had been so easy to say, hey, get out of here, you stink. But we have to ask the question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Here in verse 16 again, by this we know love, agape, because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's what Paul was speaking of uh, to the church at Thessalonica. And this is a true servant. Let me give you another verse. I'm just gonna read it to you quickly. In Mark chapter nine, verse 35, 
These are the words of Jesus. Jesus sat down, called the 12, and he said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all. And then he says, and servant of all. You desire to be first, you'll be last of all, and servant of all. The word servant is diakonos, a minister, a servant, a servant of Christ. And listen to this, by choice, by choice. When Paul comes to saving grace, there in Acts chapter 9, the road to Damascus, nobody forced him into the kingdom of God. The Bible says that a light shone round about Paul. Now, in Acts chapter 8, Paul saw the witness, saw the servant's heart of young Stephen. And they took their coats off, the men that were going to plummet him with rocks, and they cast their coats before Paul. And they killed Stephen. I believe that Paul saw the glory of the Lord in this young youngster. I don't know how old he was, but I think he was young in ministry. He saw how he died, listen, in Christ. How he laid down his life in Christ. But if you study Stephen's life before he died, he preached the gospel. He told the Sanhedrin. And so Paul, in the road to Damascus, in Acts chapter uh, 9, he comes to saving grace. When he was knocked down, he recognized the power of God. Is that you, Lord? Then we know that Paul goes on uh, to Ananias' house, and then God comes to Ananias, and he speaks to him, and he says, Take care of this man, for he is going to do a mighty work for me. He's going to preach to uh, kings and priests, and, and he's going to speak to rulers and magistrates. And then God tells Ananias, Lay hands on him. Because Paul had been blinded for three days. And Ananias knew the reputation of Saul of Tarsus. Lord, the first person he's going to, I'm paraphrasing this, the first person he's going to see is me. He was going to Damascus with letters in hands to bring back Christians to put them on trial and possibly death just like Stephen. So Ananias says, Lord, give me a break here. Why did Ananias do it? Why did he lay hands on a solitarsis, being the tyrant that he was? Because the love of God. And so Paul's ministering to the church at Thessalonica. And we're doing all this not for profit, not for gain, not for filthy lucre, which is finances. We're doing it for the love of God because he first loved us. Look at verse 9 now. Let's go back to our text. For you remember, listen to what Paul's saying to the church, now at Thessalonica. You remember, brethren, our labor and our toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden. He's going back to that word again. We might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God, free of, free of charge, if I could add that. So Paul's witness of labor to the church at Thessalonica I believe Paul had already showed them. Paul had already shared with them, possibly when he was there prior, because he's speaking about, we labored for you day and night. Now we know according to Acts chapter 18, that Paul is there at Corinth, and he's making tents with Aquila and Priscilla. That's how he sustained himself. 
And so this laboring day and night, listen to the translation. We know historically that Paul made tents by day and he preached the gospel by night. What a beautiful testimony. And so he had already told uh, the church at Thessalonica, this is what we do. And I don't notice that any financial needs were needed for Timothy or Silas. Paul basically made enough, and with the church at Philippi, made enough to sustain everybody. And I believe also Paul was taking care of those that didn't have. Reaching out to the widows. Reaching out to the homeless. Reaching out to the poor. Now, we already mentioned in verse 6 that we might have been burdensome to you, the Greek there, uh, to place a spiritual weight on you, such as desiring to receive finances from the church. So Paul, in a sense here in verse 9, following the same lead, that we would not be a burden to no man, but the Greek word here is chargeable to no man. Vine's Dictionary says this, to place upon the church at Thessalonica a heavy financial strain. Paul says, we're not going to do that. Always remember, church, that Jesus paid the full price at Calvary. The price has already been paid. We've taken that position here at this church. The gospel's free. We don't charge. We're going to go on the radio, praise God. We're not going to charge. We've always made available the tapes, the CDs. We don't charge. We're setting up a 1-800 number that they could call, and if they want a CD, there's no charge. And that could get very expensive. And I hope and pray that we can hold off as long as possible. And if need be, we can ask them, you know, just to refrain the costs. And CDs do not cost $10. And it doesn't cost $10 to mail them out. I can't understand some of the prices that they charge. The price has already been paid. Be careful when you do listen to the TV evangelist, the radio minister, and they say, God needs your money. That's not true. God does not need your money. Now, I'm not against if they say, if you'd like to support this ministry, praise God. But don't press the issue. Listen, if you don't give, we're going to have to cut back. If you don't give, we're going to... You've heard them. Be careful. I was listening to an old black preacher years ago back in Southern California. And he was talking about God's finances. And he says, you know, the Bible says that God owns the cattle in a thousand hills. He says, I've learned to pray, Lord, all I need is a little calf. Oh, I like that prayer. All I need is a little calf. Remember that Genesis chapter 22, he is Jehovah Jireh. Let's conclude. Look at verse 10 now. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, you are witnesses. You are our testimony, and God also. I like that. How devoutly, how justly, and how blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you, the believers. 
Man, Paul put up his testimony right there. He put up Silas's testimony. He put up also Timothy's testimony. You know how we behaved. He says devoutly. The word to de devoutly here is we were holy before you. And Paul's not boasting, but we're, we were holy before you as Christ is in us. We were pious before you as Christ is in us. Justly, we were righteous before you as Christ is in us. We were also, the word here, blameless. Blameless. There was nothing to place blame on us, Paul says. There was no fault to be found in us concerning being your servants. Paul's testimony, Silas' testimony, and Timothy's testimony spoke volumes to the church at Thessalonica, to the church at Berea, to the church at Philippi, and all the other churches that Paul ministered to. What Paul is bringing this to a close here in verse 10, our hands are pure and clean. Listen, we have nothing to hide. Our hearts are an open book before you, the church, the body of Christ, and before God Almighty. He's our witness. He is our testimony. You see, a model servant must always be a living testimony. A living testimony. I cringe when we see shows like 2020. Uh, what's that other one? 48 hours? or And they do these special on televangelists. That's, that's bad. And then the non-believer sees that and says, that's the church. No, that's not the church. Paul said, look at our testimony. I want to leave you lastly with this. I want you to study it when you get home. In Acts chapter 6, the church is growing. The 12 apostles are busy. We know that Judas Iscariot has died. We know that Matthias has taken over. But later on, the 12th apostle, I believe, is Paul the apostle. But in Acts chapter 2, the power of the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the church. By the time they reach to Acts chapter 6, scholars believe that the church is anywhere between 10,000 to 20,000 people. In Acts chapter 6, the, uh, the Greeks and the Hebrews were coming to complain to the 12. There's a neglect for our widows. Nobody's taking care of our Greek widows. Nobody's taking care of our, our Greek, you know, the Hebrew widows. And so the apostles said to the people, and I'm sure it had to be the, the type of leadership that was there. There had to have been some type of leadership. They said, look among you for seven men. Now listen to the criteria. Look among you for seven men. Number one, filled with the Holy Spirit. Seven men, secondly, filled with faith. And thirdly, seven men filled with wisdom. And then I like this. Seven men of honest report. In other words, seven men of good reputation that we may place in charge over these tasks before the church to take care of the needs of the widows, be it the Grecian widows or be it the Hebrew widows. The charge that was given there. 
Now, the disciples weren't being boastful and prideful, but they said that we would give ourselves to prayer in the study of the Word of God. And I thank the Lord for the time that I have here in the ministry to study, to prepare, to pray, to ask God. It wasn't always this way. I thank God for Pastor Jeff and Pastor Jay. I thank God for all the other leadership. Because years back when we started at Calvary Chapel, Las Cruces was meeting at the rec room uh, on Solano. Over here at Apodaca, uh, well, it was the, it was a, what was that, trailer park. What was the name of it? Encantada. See, what happens when you get old? Encantada Park. The first thing that goes to memory. What? <laughs> but we used to meet in the rec room. Children's church was at our trailer. My wife was in charge of that. Now, they played pool, and there was two pool tables, and the people came to the rec room throughout the week. So Sunday morning early, we had to go and clean it up, mop the floor, and they smoked cigarettes, and we had to spray and put the fans on, and even then it was hard. Put the pulpit up, put up 30 chairs. That was the ministry. Before I left the house, the trailer, my wife had the house clean. After one service and a handful of kids, it looked like a tornado hit our house. I don't have to tell you. You guys know. And in those days, we did everything, everything. And I thank the Lord when we came in here, servants took charge. We came here and watched the hand of God. So many of you have come through here and are still here. Others have gone on serving in other ministries. That's what the church is about. That's what the body of Christ is about. That's what's being a servant is what's all about, a diakonos. One that takes care of the menial tasks. Now, before we end, you cannot be a servant of the Lord unless you have first received Christ. And there's a lot of people that try to serve in church thinking by serving, that's going to get me to heaven. You need to come to saving grace. And then you need to get rooted and grounded and then watch what God's going to do. I love what they're doing back there in the sound room. The guys that are putting the radio program together, I have no idea what they do in the sound room. And they're putting this together. They're learning from the bottom up. God is what ordains this. And so this morning, as we conclude, I'm going to challenge you. If you haven't come to Christ, how can you call yourself a servant of the Lord? You must first receive him.